us in his scriptures to give honor to those that honor is due. And that is why we do that, because I don't know about you, but I am thankful to live in this nation where we can worship Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, freely. And so I want to say thank you again to all of you who have served to make that happen. So um, my name's Ryan. I get the privilege to get into the Word of God today with all of you. So would you guys open your Bibles with me and turn them on on those digital devices as well and make your way to Mark uh, chapter 15 today. Uh, That's where we're going to be as we continue to look for encounters uh, that Jesus had with other people. And uh, and also, as always, if you don't know this, but if you don't have a Bible, we have the CFC app. You can download that, and there's a free Bible on there as well. And as I always say, you will get so much more out of a sermon when we have a Bible in our laps. In case you're wondering, too, what version we use, we use the NASB, and so um, in case you want to know that as well. Um, you know, as you guys are making your way there to Mark chapter 15, uh, you know, I just, I, I am new to the church, so you might not know this, uh, but I have three kids. Uh, we have a sixth grader, a second grader, and a kindergartner, and they are uh, amazing. I love them. I'm so thankful for them. Uh, but as cute and cuddly as they can be, usually, uh, once in a while, uh, we learn that, um, I don't know why, maybe it's just unique to my wife and I, no other parent has ever had to go through this before, but my kids, once in a while, we like to challenge the authority in the home. And, um, and so uh, it, was, it started off in the preschool years, and um, eventually my wife and I just realized we, we're just going to have to point blank teach them who's in charge and, and, and ask them and remind them at times. And so uh, we would begin to ask them, now, now who, who's the boss of the house? And then their answer would be mommy or daddy, whoever's asking them. And, and so we just had to be that clear with them. Well, I remember one time specifically with one of them, uh, we had to have that conversation with them. And who's, who's the boss of the house? You are daddy. And then they weren't done. I said, but Jesus is your boss. And uh, I loved how they felt it was important to remind me that I was not on the top of the food chain either. And, and at that point, I'm like, well, they're learning some things about God. That's a good thing, you know. But, um, you know, here's the truth. Jesus is the boss. He is the king. And, um, and, and with that, then, what we're going to see in our passage in Mark 15, we're going to see at least three ways we need to rightly respond to Jesus as the king. And so with me looking at verse one, we're diving right in. It says, early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. So here's the context. Uh, Jesus has been tried before the Jewish leaders, and they have concluded now at this point, Jesus is guilty of blasphemy, claiming to receive the worship that only the one true God should have. He's guilty. Now, according to God's law, that is punishable by death. And normally they would just take such a person out and stone them to death. They had done that many times before. Uh, They would actually do it later after this with a guy named Stephen. Maybe you heard of him in the book of Acts, right? But they don't do it with Jesus. And now we don't know 100% sure, but most theologians guess the reason they didn't do it themselves is because Jesus was very popular with the Jewish crowds. And they were maybe afraid that if they killed Jesus, that people would turn on them. So they may have been thinking, who can we get to do the dirty work for us? Who can we get to kill Jesus? 
oh, that's right, the Romans are in town. They happen to actually be ruling the town and the land. And so let's bring Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, and let's get him killed by them. The catch, though, is that blasphemy is not illegal according to Roman law. They don't care about that, right? So they got to come up with new accusations to get them to kill uh, Jesus. And so what were those? Well, look at verse 2. There's a hint from Mark, and that is that Pilate questioned Jesus, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, if you're just reading Mark, to be honest, it's a choppy book sometimes. Uh, you know, you imagine you go into a courtroom, that's the first question the person's asking them is, are you the king of the Jews? Like there's no context, honestly, in the way that Mark records this event. But thankfully, God uh, had four different accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus recorded for us in the Bible in what we call the four gospels. Mark is one of those. The others would be Matthew, Luke, and John. And so what's neat is, even though Mark doesn't give context here, we can go to another one of the Gospels to get context. So I'll put this on the screen for us. Here's Luke's account of the same event. He says, then the whole body of them got up and brought Jesus before Pilate. So there's the same event. And then here's very interesting information. They began to accuse him saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And so Pilate asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? So you see in verse two, how we get some more details to the event that Mark didn't record. And specifically, we get the accusations that they made up about Jesus. And that was that Jesus uh, was telling people not to pay taxes. He's not going to pay taxes himself and that he's the king of the Jews. That's what they said about Jesus. If you summarize those accusations, basically what they're trying to say is Jesus is a rebel of King Caesar. That's what they're trying to get the Romans to convict him as guilty of because according to Roman law, that is punishable by death. And then they get their wish. You see how that's working? Now, here's the question. Are the accusations true about Jesus that they're saying? Well, according to the history written in the biblical accounts, absolutely not. Uh, Jesus uh, never said that Caesar is not king. He never says that anywhere. And he doesn't tell people not to pay taxes or pay himself. He did it and he told people to pay their taxes. So it's not true according to biblical history. Uh, According to history outside of the Bible, there's no debate who was the king of the land. The Romans were and Caesar was the king. So so surely it's not true. Well, that's why when when you hear Pilate ask that question, it probably was dripping with annoyance. You know, like, really? This is the accusation. Like everybody knows who's the real king. Surely this guy is not claiming to be the king. I mean, you know, so are you the king of the Jews? You know, he's just annoyed maybe by them. And of course, Jesus would have never said yes. Well, look at verse two. And Jesus answered him, it is as you say. What? Like maybe the beatings and the lack of sleep all night that he's been going through has messed up his mind. Jesus, what are you doing? You just said yes. Why is that? Again, this is an opportunity where the other gospels can help paint the picture for us of what he's saying, why he's saying it, other things he said. So we're going to go now to to John 18 on the screen for us. Again, setting the stage, same event. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? See, it's the same event. 
But, but listen, as Jesus started talking, John records more of what he said. In verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are king, so you are a king. And he says, you say correctly that I am a king, for this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. What's the truth that Jesus is saying to Pilate that is the reason he came from heaven to earth to tell us as mankind? Here it is, that Jesus is the king. He is the king. He is a king of a different category than all the earthly kings around, including you, Pilate, by the way. He is the king of all kings. And he is the Lord of all lords is what he's come to tell us. And, and that is what he's trying to say. You see, historically, here's the, the, the reality. God created the world and Jesus is God. God creates the world and he creates all the things in the world, in the heavens, all the creatures. And day one, they rightly submitted to him and his, and his kingship. And they were created to serve him, to worship him. And they did so, including the angels. Until one day, a specific angel named Satan or Lucifer, and he didn't like that he was not king. And so he rebelled against the king of kings. Well, then not too long after, you have the first man and woman. Uh, remind me, help me out. What are their names? Adam and Eve. That, well, whew, that was rough. Let's try that again. Who are their names? Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, they come around and they rebel against the king. And at that moment, Jesus, the king of all kings, he had a choice. Do I rightly wipe out because I am a holy and just God and wipe out these rebellious subjects of mine and rightly do so? Or do I develop a plan somehow, even though they are so undeserving, to make it possible to redeem these subjects back into my kingdom? And so he did the latter. Now, what he did, though, is then he had to remove his 100% glory from the earth up back into heaven, if you will, because of the sin. And, but he allowed us to continue to live. And then he placed temporarily uh, earthly kings, if you will, to rule man while he was working on his plan of salvation. Uh, these are lesser magistrates, lesser kings that he has delegated his authority as the king of kings to. This is what the Bible teaches in Romans 13 and other places in the Bible. So we just had these elections this last week and all these people that get into these offices in this land, whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not, they are actually given authority by the king of kings. The only reason they got in there is because he got them there. That's how it works, right? We have our little parts called a vote. It's a big deal. But like at the end of the day, Jesus has delegated authority to them. Now you hope and pray they honor him in that. But nevertheless, that's how things have been going around the world until Jesus will finish the kingdom. And he's going to merge the kingdoms together in the end to where now once and finally, like it was in the beginning, he will directly be reigning in this world because he's the king. And he's currently doing it right now. You might say, now, what do you mean? I don't see Jesus reigning anywhere on the earth. And what, what are you talking about? Well, the Bible in so many ways says that the kingdom is growing in the hearts of people, in the throne rooms, if you will, of our hearts. And so th thus we have the throne concept here today. 
and I'm asking that you would work with me on it. It is a combination of, it's like a millennial version of an old throne. <laughs> so got that design, they re-upholstered it. But anyway, it's the best we could find, all right? So play with me and work with me on this. Here's what it is, is that in every one of our hearts, there is a throne room with a throne. And Jesus is supposed to be on this throne. But because of our sin that we are born into, we are rebels of the king. We have pushed him off the throne and we instead have put ourselves on the throne of our own hearts. And what this means is we're gonna run our lives the way we want to. We are the ultimate authority of our decisions, our dreams, our passions, the things we do with all the areas of our life, time, money, relationships, everything, which our way. And uh, because, you know, and then what do we hear in the society? As long as we don't hurt anybody else, do whatever makes you most happy, right? And, and Jesus is, he's not anywhere to be around. But, but see, the thing is, is that we're all gonna die and we're gonna be resurrected and we're going to have a day of reckoning called Judgment Day where we're standing before the King of all kings. And he's going to look at the throne of our heart, if you will, and he's going to see, is Jesus on that throne or are you? And if we're on the throne still at that moment, listen, we are rebels against him and we will rightly receive the wrath that we deserve as rebels. And there's nothing we can do about it on our own. We can't fix it. Except that God loved us so much. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, part of that plan of salvation, he came into this world and he was murdered by his rebellious subjects and you and I all included in that. And when he rose from the dead, he made it possible for us to cross from rebels of the king to friends of the king. He made it possible for us so that, that, that we can get off the throne and allow Jesus to get back on it. Here's how it works is, is we need to confess. We need to confess that we are rebels by our sins. We need to get off the throne and let Jesus come in. And you know what's so amazing about it is that once Jesus gets on the throne of our lives, I'm telling you, he will change you. He will make you into that man or woman you always wanted to be that you can never really get to when you were running your own life. He'll transform you and make you more and more into his image when he's on the throne of our hearts. It's what he wants to do for us. And not only does he give us a true sense of, 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 of um, peace and purpose and contentment in our hearts, but also we have the hope that one day when Jesus finishes his job and he has merged all things under his, uh, his direct rule again, we get to reign with him in heaven forevermore. Praise God. You see, this is what we call becoming a Christian. It's that point of a decision where we don't just believe the facts, Jesus is God and believe, you know, all this stuff, but like there was a point of decision. When I confessed that I'm a rebel, got off the throne, submitted myself to the king once and for all. And this is the most important thing for a lot of us right here. This is what we got to do is that you, you're here and I praise God you're here. But if you ask yourself honestly, is Jesus the king of my life? When was that day, that moment when I submitted to him as king, got off the throne of my heart and you haven't yet, but that is what the Lord wants for you to do and for me. 
And here's the thing, I could probably open up a microphone, we can get the microphone on, and uh, we could have just tons of people coming up here and say, hey, would everybody share your story where you gave your life to Christ and surrendered to him? And here's the typical story that you would hear from so many people. It would be that I used to rule my own life, I made decisions for myself, I was my own king. But I heard about the gospel, and I confessed that I rebelled against the Lord, and I got off my throne, I let Jesus come in, and I'll tell you what, he has changed me. I'm not perfect today, but I'll tell you what, I'm so much different than I used to be. I, I don't even recognize myself. And, and you know what? Even though it isn't, isn't always easy for him to be my king, it is so worth it, and I would never, ever go back. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. Have you done that? And so I plead with you, don't fight him, because he's going to win in the end. Bend your knee to him now before you're forced to on your judgment day. He died so that we can be pardoned and forgiven now. And so I'm gonna make an opportunity right now. If you have never done that, today's the day for you to do so. Today's the day that you're gonna stop fighting or pushing it off. Like you would admit that you are on your own throne, but I pray and I hope that you're done. And so I'd love to lead you in a prayer to receive that into your life and to get off the throne and get Jesus on. There's nothing magical about the words. It's about the meaning of them from your heart. So would everybody just close your eyes with me for just a moment? And, and for those that you are ready to give your life to the king and watch him change you and forgive you no matter what you've done, just, just say these things quietly between you and God. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the king. And I confess that by my sin, I have rebelled against you. And for that, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me today and come into my heart and reign forevermore? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, this is the beauty of the gospel. There's nothing that we've done too great, too rebellious for Jesus Christ to redeem us of by his grace on the cross. Praise the Lord. If you made that decision, please let me know after service. Now, here's the thing. If, once we've given our life to him, once we've gotten off the throne, Jesus is on the throne. As God's people, as his subjects, there are still ways that we need to respond continually rightly in front of Jesus as our king. Like we got to keep doing some things not to retain salvation. I'm going to make that really clear. But now that he is our king, we need to rightly keep responding to him as our king. And so we're going to read the rest of our passage, verses three through 15, and we're going to come back and find a couple of these responses. So look at it with me. Look at verse three. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. And then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. And so Pilate was amazed. Why is he amazed? Because Jesus could have easily defended himself and gotten out of there. It's like Jesus wants to die. You know what? He does want to die. You know why? Because Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he loves you and I. That's why he didn't get out of there. I'm so thankful for that. And I'll tell you, when we live a sacrificial life for Christ too in our lives, people take notice. 
And that's what's going on. Pilate's like, I can't believe this guy. He actually wants to die. Verse six, now at the feast, he used to uh, release for them anyone prisoner whom they requested. And the man named Barabbas had been in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the insurrectionist. So Barabbas has rebelled against King Caesar and murdered people while he was doing it. In verse eight, the crowd went up and began to ask him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. And Pilate answered them, saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with him who you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. But Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And having him scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. So what are some other ways we need to keep responding to Jesus rightly as our king? Verse 10, notice this with me. Look, Pilate was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of what? Envy. You see that? The Jewish leaders loved their power, their popularity with the crowds, their influence. But man, three and a half years before this, this new guy shows up on the scene named Jesus. And he starts doing all these miracles and all this stuff. And next thing you know, the crowds are shifting from them to him. Because by the way, when God shows up and starts healing the blind and the lame and walking on water, that draws a crowd <laughs> and rightly so because he deserves it. And they are envious of Jesus's popularity is what's going on. It's so thick and clear, Pilate picks up on it. And this envy of Jesus's kingship is familiar ground throughout history. First, we have Satan again. He, although the most beautiful, powerful creature of all things created, it wasn't enough for him. He had to have the throne. And so out of envy, he exchanged a good relationship with Jesus the King for a doomed relationship with him. Well, then Adam and Eve, same thing. Out of envy, you say, what were they envious of God for? God knew the difference of the knowledge of good and evil, and they wanted that. And so out of envy, they exchanged an intimate, beautiful relationship with the king of kings for a doomed relationship with the king. Well, then you fast forward, and this is what mankind is about. We get to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, and they envied the popularity of Jesus. And so they exchanged Jesus, the savior king, for an ongoing doomed relationship with him. And specifically, how did they do it? They exchanged Jesus for a murderous rebel of earthly kings named Barabbas. And before we get self-righteous again, let us remind us that all of us as humans, by our sin, we have done the same thing. We were envious of Jesus, and we have a king complex, if you will. We have a king complex. We have to have the throne of our life. And so we've done that. But again, we've also said already, praise God that Jesus, get this, was killed by envy to kill our envy. Praise God for that, right? 
He was killed by the envy of other people. Why? So he can kill our envy. And if we give our life to Christ, we can change that. He can change that. That's awesome. All right. And so the first question we asked earlier was, is Jesus your king at all? Right? The question we now ask as a Christian who's Jesus on the throne is, is Jesus king over all? Over all of our lives. Because what we do is as a Christian, we say, okay, Jesus is on the king of my life, but we begin to departmentalize our lives a little bit sometimes. In fact, lots of times, if we're honest. And so what we do is we create these mini thrones within our hearts, if you will. And uh, it's like, all right, Lord, you're, you know, I'm a Christian, you're, you're my Lord, but uh, I don't like the way that you want me to run my money. I don't like that. So you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reign over this one, but you're still over here on the main, main you know, throne of my heart, but you're like, I'm going to take this. I don't like the way you want me to do this and that with my money. And you see how that works? Or, or uh, you know, maybe it's uh, our time. There's times when we want to run our time. And uh, like for me, I think of myself, there's so many times, that's a lot of times in, in a minute, but anyway, um, there's so many moments when uh, I, I'm coming home and it's a busy time in my life, busy day, whatever it is, and, and I sense the Holy Spirit telling me to uh, take some 10 minutes of your time, which is actually my time because I'm king of your life, and go have a conversation with your neighbors and try to get to spiritual things because you love them, right? And I'm like, ah, I'm so busy and tired, and you know what? I'm going to run my time at this moment and be the king of this little area of my life, right? And then others, and maybe it's the area of relationships, we make a little mini throne. And uh, I, I know Jesus, according to your word, there's certain friends you want me to have and not have, certain people you want me to marry, not marry. Only one, of course, in the end, you know that, okay? But there's a certain type of person, you know, that you want me to marry, not marry. And, and, uh, but I don't like that. I, you know, you got the rest of my life, but like, I'm, I'm gonna do this. I got this one going to go my way. In a sense, we have our own version of Game of the Thrones going on here, don't we? Right? This is what we do. The problem is, the problem is like we're lying to ourselves. You know why we do that? Because we don't trust that true happiness and meaning of life in these areas of our life are going to be handled well according to the king. So we got to take it into our own hands. And that's just not how it works. See, Jesus, when he comes into our life and he gets on the throne of our heart, he has come to take complete control of every area of our life because he's king over all. In fact, um, this is what the Lord talks about. In fact, this is a theme in the whole Bible. If you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, listen to it. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's what God wants. And I love that there's a, a past a theologian, maybe you've heard of him, C.S. Lewis, and he was writing about this concept as if this is God talking to us. He says, it's like God saying, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your talents and so much of your money. I want uh, so much of your work. He says, I want you, all of you, I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it, no half measures will do. Because again, we have a king complex. And even as God's people, we like to try to take these areas of our Sometimes we actually stack them up. We start taking multiple ones, don't we? You know, we just start taking it all. And we have this complex and we get envious of Jesus and we try to take it over. So how do we fight 
this problem within our souls? Well, we need to fight that king envy by confessing our king complex, by confessing it. And this is a beautiful, beautiful truth, brothers and sisters, is that God says, like in, in, John, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like that's gonna happen and it happens in our life, but all we have to do is confess it, repent of it, and the Lord forgives us. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's not like the Lord's like, nope, you know, I, I only get king once and then you do one thing and like you're out. Like we, we presume that the grace of God in our life, praise God. Now, how often does this happen in our lives? How often do we come up with these many thrones? Like every day. Like I heard one person say like hundreds of times a day, right? I mean, it happens all the time because again, we have this complex. And in fact, Jesus, he knew that. Listen to what he said. He said, uh, he was saying to them all in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. How often? You see that? Daily, daily and follow me. We have to continually do this. Why? Because our hearts are a factory of idols. As John Calvin said, I would say a factory of many thrones. Because again, we got this king complex with a bunch of envy within us. In fact, this is why Martin Luther said the first line of the 95 Theses, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ will the entire life of believers to what? To be one of repentance, confession and repentance, confession and repentance. So how does this work out? How does this happen? It means that uh, in our daily walk with the Lord, we spend some time in prayer and we just say, Holy Spirit, would you just, just show me if I've got any mini thrones going on? Are there any areas of my life that, that I'm just trying to take back from you? And I don't want you to reign and I want to do it myself. And once the Holy Spirit relays those to our soul, then we have the beautiful gift of confession and repentance. And we do that and we receive, get this, his immediate cleansing from that and immediate forgiveness. Praise God for that. Praise God for his grace in our life. Well, let's go on. We've got one more way to rightly respond to the king. We've got to make sure we don't keep having these mini thrones pop up and address those. The, the last point, we're going to get out of verse 15. And would you look at me with on that? It's, it's just as fascinating. Uh, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. The, the first phrase is what I want to highlight. Do you realize that? Look at that. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. You see, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew it just by his own work of being a good judge and listening to witnesses. He's like, this is crazy. The other thing is God trying to get through his thick skull as well. He sent his wife a dream saying, don't mess with Jesus. Like Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but out of fear of the crowd, he was too worried about what the people thought. You see, in a way he had a, a, a fear of man complex. And it's what we call peer pressure these days, peer pressure. He feared man and not the king. But loved ones, listen, even as a Christian, we need to keep fearing the king and not man in our everyday life. Keep fearing the king, don't fear man. Because in a way, it's kind of like instead of us wondering, you know, have these areas and do all this mini throne, Game of Thrones stuff, instead, it's kind of like we want to put other people on the throne, 
In other words, there's, there's, we, want to, we, we are more worried about the approval and the acceptance of people than the King of Kings in our life or in this moment of decision that we are facing. And so, but listen to what God says about this fear of man in Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. By the way, I was talking to someone in our counseling ministry and this verse, she said, we we use this all the time. And that's been my experience. Why? Because this is relevant for us today. Like, like so often our problems in our life, the reason we're disobeying God in some area is because of fear of man. But God used this great visual of a snare. What is a snare designed to do? Uh, a snare is designed to trap the victim from going away from the one pursuing it long enough so that the one pursuing it can get him. right? So if you're a fluffy bunny, and you got a hunter coming after you, <laughs> a snare is to stop you so that, you know, it's your demise. Or in a, in, in a war scenario, a booby trap type snare type thing to catch you. And so think about that. Whenever we make a decision where we disobey God because we're afraid of what people think, we get stopped from enjoying him to the fullest that he died for us to enjoy. And we get stopped from being used of God in the ways that he wants so badly to use us because we got in the snare of the fear of man. And you know, I don't know how many times I've had that happen in my life too, man. I, 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 it's just, it's ridiculous how many times that I was afraid of what people thought and what they would do and therefore I disobeyed. And I, I guarantee you, I have missed out on so much that the Lord would want to use me for. And it's on me because of fear of man. I remember one time, specifically, I was on the high school swim team, and uh, it was the, the tradition would be you, uh, the night before sectionals, you've done all this, you know, what you call hell week kind of stuff and kill your body and all that, and uh, now you get to eat all the carbs you want. And you know what? My body, I miss that. Like, my metabolism doesn't do that anymore. But anyway, so, you know, we're eating all the carbs we can, spaghetti and all this, and then we, as a team, we went down to the basement, and um, they pop in just some raunchy, unholy movie. And I still to this day remember the feeling of the war in me of fear of man versus fear of the king. Am I going to fear the Lord and do the right thing, keep my eyes pure, leave as a positive example? Or am I going to give in to the fear of man, which is I'm going to look like a dork and no one's going to lie. You know, what's wrong with that guy? You know what I'm talking about? And this doesn't just apply to junior high and senior high people. This is adults and I've seen in the workplace. Like I, and again, this is like something I, I deal with all the time, this, this war. Are we going to fear man or fear the king? Now, the fear of the king, what does that look like instead? And, and God addresses this through Paul in, in, in Philippians 2.12, for instance. Paul says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as uh, in my presence only, but here's the theme. You see the word obeyed. But now much more in my absence, here it is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me explain what the fear of the Lord looks like for a Christian. Let me first say what a non-Christian fear looks like. If you're a non-Christian, hopefully you're not, because we just had the gospel and an opportunity to respond. But if you didn't pray that prayer, here's the thing, and I say this with love, like there should be the deepest feeling of fear ever in your soul. Because again, you're going to stand before your creator, God, someday. 
And there will be no excuse and no reason why you're, why you're rebel, rebel other than yourself, and you will receive the wrath of God forever. That should be the deepest level of a fear of the king of kings when you're a rebel, right? Now, praise God that he's made a way for us not to have to deal with that. Praise the Lord for that. But even as a Christian, then here's how it's different as the fear of king. It's, it's not that, am I going to get kicked out, you know, and, and, and all that. It's nothing like that. It's more the concept of a father, a loving good father with their child kind of fear. Where, where as a child, I know that I have this great relationship with my dad, but I know that if I disobey him and I'm not sorry for it, then I will receive his discipline. Again, you're not going to kick me out of the family, but I'm going to receive his discipline because he loves me. And so knowing that ahead of time, I have this healthy fear of my dad or of my king. I don't want to receive that discipline. And then it motivates me to obey and not disobey. You see, that's the kind of fear that we're talking about. And so let me try to hit this home as clear as ever. The idea of fear of man versus fear of the king. The fear of man in a situation like this would say, if I don't get hammered with my coworkers or with my friends at school, they're not going to like me. I'm not going to have any friends. The voice of the king says to us, he says, I want to use you to be a witness to those very friends. And if you trust me, I'll give you real friends. Fear of man would say, if I don't fudge on some numbers to do something unethical at work, I might lose my job. And the voice of the king says, trust me, do the right thing, be honest at work, and I'll provide for you one way or the other, whether it's that job or some other job. The fear of man says, if I don't sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, he keeps pressuring me, I'm going to lose him and I'm going to be lonely. But the voice of the king says, honor me with your body. And if you trust me, I'll give you someone in the end, possibly, that will actually love you unselfishly, because that's what's going on there. Brothers and sisters, who do we trust more? Who do we fear more? The truth is, we have a king who, when we obey him and live in that relationship, he wants to use us in amazing, amazing ways. And I know you want that. I want that. So let's make sure we listen more about what he says in our life than what other people do. And so we had an opportunity for some business to be done earlier for people who Jesus wasn't on the throne of our life at all. I wanna give an opportunity right now for you and I, my brothers and sisters, all of us, to do a little bit other business with these other two points. We're gonna spend some time as the worship team's just kind of playing here of evaluating in prayer, Lord, do I have any mini thrones in my life? Areas that I am running them. And if I'm honest with it, I'm taking it from you and I wanna give it back. Or are there any years into my life I'm being tempted to disobey you because of fear of man? I'm too worried about what people think. And Lord, would you please help me to do the right thing and fear you instead? And so would you just close your eyes with me and let's just, just gonna be quiet for just a moment. Let's just do some business. Ask the Holy Spirit to show us any of these areas.
Lord Jesus, we come to you in just a reverent moment here and just confess as your people that we have an idol factory, a mini throne factory. We have this king complex. You know that. We're not telling you something you don't know. But we're now, again, daily, we're picking up our cross. We're now confessing these things to you, whatever they are. Others of us, and maybe some of the same of us, we have both. We also have fear of man problems. We've been too worried about what people think, and it's caused us to disobey you, Lord. Lord, you please forgive us for that? And help us, give us the power of your spirit to live victorious for you. So God, we thank you so much that it's this simple, that when these things come up, that all we have to do is confess them, repent of them, and receive your immediate loving forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll tell you what, you know, the Lord has um, so many great plans in store for us, and he is our king, who's also our dad, and we are his sons and his daughters. And so let's just stand and worship him for what he's done for us as we do that. on us and called us children of the King and in his loving kindness he chose the lowly and the weak and his heart is good he is always kind with a cross he my heart in ways I I can't even hold in sometimes. The fact that when I realize I'm such a rebel by my sin, but Jesus Christ has made it possible for me to be pardoned once and for all. And then to think that as I continue in this daily battle of making sure keeping him on the throne, but that he wants to use me. Do you know that? He wants to use you in amazing ways today and this week. So brothers and sisters, let's continue to see him use us in those ways, keeping him on the throne of our hearts. Praise God.
As we've also highlighted today, I've been so inspired and encouraged about the concept also that, that he's adopted us into his family. He's not just our king, he's our, he's our father king. And the idea of adoption, and then thinking about that there's people in this world, kids that don't have parents for whatever reasons those are. And I love how God worked it out for the beautiful children of the Bollinger family in those videos we've talked about. And, you know, let's just all make sure we're, we're asking the Lord, Lord, do you want us to be involved in any way, shape, or form with children that either need fostering or adoption? And so we have a couple ministries today. Uh, we have some information on the screen here. We've got um, one is... Um, get them up there because I'm forgetting. Family Support Services is one of those ministries, and uh, they help with fostering and adoption, uh, both, uh, well, in the area here. The other one is Lifeline Children's Services, and they help with adoptions both internationally as well as domestically. And so would you just go, they're at the impact tent out in the courtyard, and just go and ask them questions about their ministry, and just ask the Lord, Lord, are you wanting us to get involved in any of this fostering or adoption? Another thing I'll encourage you on this is uh, family support services have um, some cards of bios and prayer requests of uh, kids in the foster system in the area who their biological parents' rights have been terminated. They are waiting for adoption. But what I loved about it was, maybe I'm not ready to foster, maybe I'm not ready to adopt, but you know what, I can pray. And, and my family can pray. And so I've got two boys and a girl. And so we, well, I went over there to it on Thursday night and grabbed two boys and a girl. And now we as a family are praying for them. At least, would you be willing to do that? And so let's go be the hands and feet of Christ uh, this week. You are dismissed.